The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. So the sort of thing that you would see if you go down to the mall and want to buy, want to buy something that'll carry around like small camera, you can fly it around your neighborhood. Those are the same sorts of, of drones that Islamic State has been weaponizing. You're listening to Reuters War College, a discussion of the world in conflict, focusing on the stories behind the front lines. Hello and welcome to War College. I'm your host, Matthew Galt. With us today is a staff reporter at the Wall Street Journal, Ben Kessling. Ben just returned from the front lines of the fight against Islamic State in northern Iraq. He spent time in Mosul with coalition forces and did some of the early reporting on a new battlefield phenomenon, the drones of Islamic State. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, so first of all, welcome back. Thank you. It's, yeah, it's, good. it's good to be back. I was uh, in Mosul for, for about a month, uh, got, or in, in Erbil, based out of Erbil in, uh, in Kurdistan, and then uh, was in and out of Mosul, uh, West Mosul, for, for the past month, yeah. And is this your first trip, or have you been before? I've been going uh, on and off to Iraq since the Islamic State sort of pushed in in 2014. So uh, I go to Baghdad quite a bit, and then have uh, have been in in Sinjar, been into Ramadi, and, and some of the other places where Islamic State had been, and, and Iraqi and, and Kurdish forces had had pushed them out. All right, and what, what's your read on the situation? now as opposed to the other times that you've been? Is it worse? Is it getting better? Are the coalition forces pushing them out? Well, I mean, it's on the ground, it's still, uh, it's still certainly Iraqi-led. So right now in, in West Mosul, when you're, when you're down on the front, it's primarily Iraqi Special Forces and Iraqi ERD, the Emergency Response Division, which is, uh, uh, which is a type of Special Forces. They're, they're really leading the push right now into Western Mosul. And uh, as we speak, the Iraqi forces are really burrowing into the old town of Mosul, where the streets get narrow and Warren-like. The, it's hard to get vehicles in there, and uh, it's 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 going to be it's going to be a tight fight in those areas. And ever since November, when the U.S. Department of Defense started uh, loosening some of the restrictions on uh, on U.S. troop involvement, as far as how close they can get, when you're in Mosul now, you see both U.S. conventional forces and U.S. special operations forces getting even closer to the front and well within uh, some of the smaller bore mortar range uh, for both incoming and outgoing mortars. And they're not involved in any of the firefights yet. They're just doing support. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I I'm, have not seen or heard of any, uh, of any U.S. troops, you know, being in, being in these house to house firefights, but they've are certainly within within range of ISIS uh, indirect fires, and I mean that that's true going back to when the offensive began in October on the east side of Mosul. I mean, even then, before U.S. troops were really allowed to to be pushing in with their Iraqi counterparts as advisors, uh, they were still receiving some indirect fires uh, from from a distance, usually. As the as the American troops like to say, at least a, a train feature away from the front, but nevertheless close enough to to receive fires. 
Did you spend much time with the Americans and talk to them at all? I spent most of my time going out toward the front where the Iraqi forces were operating and uh, talking to Iraqi civilians, uh, Iraqi troops and commanders, and, uh, and, and interacting a little bit with, with some of the Americans and talking with them, but it's, uh, it's not, uh, it, it's, it wasn't, wasn't extensive. How are the, how's the morale for the Iraqis right now? Do they feel good about the fight? All, all the Iraqi troops that I spoke with, they are pretty, pretty confident uh, and, 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 and happy with the, the progress that they've been making so far. They hadn't, haven't yet gotten to a spot where their, their morale is getting worn down by casualties. And it's, I mean, at this point, it's unclear whether or not that's going to happen, even as they do sustain sustained casualties as they push, they were pretty confident and uh, happy with, with the progress they were making and the fact that they are pushing Islamic State out of their major stronghold in Iraq. All right. Well, tell me about the twist then. Tell me about these, these drones that Islamic State's using. To be clear, these are not on the level of predators and reapers, which is kind of what we think of when we hear the word drone in a military context. Right. What Islamic State has been working with over the past couple months, they've been they've been developing the use of essentially quadcopters. So the sort of thing that you would see if you go down to the mall uh, and, and want to buy want to buy something that'll carry around like a small uh, a small camera, you can fly it around your neighborhood. Those are the same sorts of of drones that Islamic State has been weaponizing and using for surveillance and also for for targeted strikes on both Iraqi troops and Iraqi civilians in East and West Mosul. So they'll take these quadcopters and they will have, you know, some sort of a, a real-time camera apparatus on it. And they'll also hook up a, a release mechanism of some sort. Now there seems, there appears to be a couple different kind of release mechanisms that, the, that, they'll, that they will rig up on these things. And then they'll put some sort of a, some sort of a small bomb fly those over an Iraqi position and just drop it straight down onto either personnel who, are, who have gathered or on vehicles. Now the, uh, the munitions they're using, reporting from seeing it on the ground myself and then some reporting that open source reporters like Bellingcat are doing, the two munitions that they're primarily using, one of them is they're using a 40 millimeter grenade, the type of thing that would be fired out of a, uh, fired out of a, a grenade launcher and they're hooking that up with some sort of a tail fin stabilizing device and they will drop that. The other thing that they're using, which is more remarkable in the fact that it's done soup to nuts in, in the Islamic State, is they're using their own manufactured munitions. So they will take a, a nose cone off of, one of their, off of one of their homemade mortars, something that uses a blasting cap as the, as the detonator, and then they'll attach that to a, uh, to a plastic body with fins, with fins attached for stabilization. Uh, and that plastic body is manufactured in the Islamic State. They'll stuff that body with homemade explosive, and then that whole thing will be dropped from these quadcopters. And it's, it's pretty remarkable to see these because they're manufactured entirely within the Islamic State. A number of different places have documented this, this manufacturing apparatus at the that ISIS had over time, where they have a nice a standardized manufacturing plant making military-grade weapons, mortars, um, and, and the like. Now, where are they getting the quadcopters from? These are off the shelf, right? So are they just, do they have people in other countries walking into stores and then shipping them to them, or do we have any idea? There's 
not an easy way to, to trace these apparently, but these these are the sorts of quadcopters that you could you could order, you know, order online if you wanted to and have them shipped and then and then walk them across the border, smuggle them in somehow. But these are, I mean, commercial quadcopters. And did you see any of them in action in person or just some that were downed or? Uh, I saw, I saw um, a couple that were downed. Thankfully, didn't see any in action. The only one I did see was uh, the Iraqi army is using their own version of it for surveillance. So uh, an Iraqi, saw an Iraqi army soldier who was flying one that, I mean, again, another standard sort of quadcopter. And they will fly, they will fly these quadcopters over civilians as they walk from ISIS-held territory or formerly ISIS-held territory towards the Iraqi soldiers and as a sort of initial screening to see if any, anything looks amiss, if anybody looks like they're carrying something. Uh, so they're, they're, they're using it as, as their own surveillance tool. Now, how close does the operator need to be to one of these drones to fly it? So I imagine it's not like, again, our predators or reapers where there's someone halfway across the world sitting in a, in a box in Nevada. This is, you need to be a little bit closer, correct? Yes. I mean, the, the range on these things is, is you know, maybe a, maybe a couple kilometers. But, I mean, that's, that's still well within range of, of a front line. So, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're a kilometer behind a front line, you're in, you know, in a decently safe, a decently safe spot to be able to launch something like this and create effects on target. Right. There's no great way for the coalition forces or the Iraqis to trace the signal back to the operator. That's not, not doable. It doesn't seem like that's possible. But I mean, the one thing that, uh, that the coalition forces uh, have, have started to do is field some anti-drone technology on the battlefield and uh, either sort of large jammers that are attached to sort of uh, aerial towers that can go up over, over coalition vehicles, and then they'll, they'll uh, use that to provide some sort of a blanket cover for, uh, for the areas in which they're operating with, with Iraqi troops. And then uh, Iraqi troops have limited man-pack anti-drone technology, so sort of like these radio wave guns that they can carry around and fire at, you know, point them at these drones and they can disrupt the signal and make them fall out of the sky. But those aren't that common. Most of the time when Iraqi troops see these drones, they'll just start shooting at them with with rifles in in hopes of hitting them. All right. I want to get a little bit more into the anti-drone technology and how we fight back against this, but I need to pause for a break. My name is Matthew Galt. I am your host. We are talking to Ben Kessling of the Wall Street Journal about the fight in Mosul, and the drones of Islamic State. What's the best mattress for you? Well, if you're an egg or a kitten, check out the competition. But if you're a human person, put your body on a nectar mattress. As well as award-winning layers of comfort, you can sleep easy knowing you got incredible value. Mattresses start at just $499, and you get hundreds of dollars in accessories thrown in, as well as a 365-night home trial and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com. So, Ben, just before the break, you were telling me about the ways that we are fighting back, or ways that we and the Iraqis are fighting back against these drones. And I wondered if you would talk a little bit more about the, I guess, these anti-drone rifles. What do they, what do they look like, and how effective are they? 
so there's this product that is put out by an American company. Uh, it's called the Drone Defender, and it's it's one of the. Uh, it seems to be one of the primary primary technologies available as far as f- for uh, one one foot soldier to be able to carry for anti drone activity. It's I mean, it looks like a beefed-up M16 with a gigantic radio antenna instead of a barrel, and then that's connected to that's connected to a, a power pack, uh, and then if you just point that point that rifle at the you know at a drone, it it shoots out some radio waves. Those radio waves disrupt the uh, control mechanism on the drone and will will cause it to you know lose control and fall from the sky. I mean, those are of limited use. They aren't, you can't throw out a sort of blanket cover with those. But if, uh, at least until uh, a couple months ago when I was, when I was uh, down, downrange near, near Mosul, you would see American posts uh, where they would have, you know, a machine gun for the perimeter and also a drone defender uh, in case a drone flew over. Now, I, I didn't see it that much in, uh, in Mosul, but the, the American forces are using larger sort of more... Uh, more blanket technology, it seems. That's that's a, uh, a new development that's out there. And the the Air Force has recently started procuring some anti-drone technology. Not not sure where where or for what that's being used, but they've been procuring it. And then, uh, interestingly enough, in the most recent request for uh, budget plus up that came out, uh, that the the Pentagon really detailed. Uh, they have some money that they would like to allocate toward anti-unarmed um, aerial vehicle technology, but it's not clear what that's going to be. So it seems like the U.S. is is trying to figure out how to best defeat these things and to to field uh, to field technology to do so. And it's not only the U.S. that's supplying anti-drone technology to the Iraqi forces, but also Iran, right? That's what the Iraqi forces have told us. They've uh, said some some of the Hashid Shabi or um, uh, or militias that are acting in concert with the with the standard Iraqi military. A lot of them are aligned uh, aligned fairly closely with Iran as far as equipping and training, and they've told us that they are getting some anti drone technologies from Iran or are. Uh, assembling their own anti-drone technologies with the assistance of Iranian advisors. Now, those uh, those Shabi groups are operating a little bit further west than Mosul. So, out so some of these groups are operating uh, in less densely populated areas, aren't getting the same sort of coalition air cover, and having to deal with some of the same technological issues. So, it's unclear whether or not these these Iranian anti-drone technologies are just blasting the air with radio waves in a way that is not tenable in a densely packed um, combat area where you have a number of competing uh, radio systems. I mean, you know, on one level you could just blast out technology that would block all radio waves, but then you would kill all communications. You would have a number of ancillary problems that would, that would come with that. So it's unclear if that if that technology is is able to be used on a small scale to just direct against this drone threat or if it's something that's uh, more uh, a more of a blanket block technology Iran's involvement in this fight uh, why would they be helping those specific groups in western Iraq and uh, what's Iran's relationship to Islamic State 
there's really no secret that the uh, that, that Iran is is helping to train and equip some of these some of these militia units in, in Iraq. So the the militia units, the Hashid Shabi, are primarily Shia affiliated militias. And uh, the these these Shiite groups have uh, have banded together to assist the Iraqi military in security operations and in fighting Islamic State. Now, the Iranian uh, the Iranian government, of course, is is um, is, a, is a Shiite government, and they uh, have been been trying to project. Uh, project into into Iraq and to assist some of these uh, some of these uh, Hashid Shabi groups and the Hashid Shabi are uh, are happily taking some taking ad- advice and supplies from from Iran. That's that's no secret. I, I guess the one of the best ways to show the comp the the complex nature is to look at what's happening around Mosul as the fight develops. So. Mosul is known as is traditionally known as a, as a Sunni city, uh, and Islamic State is uh, a Sunni militant religious uh, religious group, and they've had their they've had a hold on Mosul for you know since 2014. As the Iraqi army works to push Islamic State out of Mosul, there are a number of competing competing groups on the outside that are trying to decide how. Uh, how close they should get to Mosul, how to operate without without causing sectarian strife. So you'll have the Nineveh Plain in which uh, in which Mosul sits is there are a number of Christian groups, Yazidi groups, uh, there are uh, ethnic minorities there as well. You have you have Turkmen, you have Shebek, and inside the city itself, you uh, you know you've got Sunnis who have chafed under. Uh, the Shia majority uh, Iraqi government in the past. You have these Hashishabi groups on the outside who are trying to push in. You have Kurds. There's just a number of a number of different competing religious and, and ethnic factions, uh, all sort of converging on Mosul at this time. And the central government and uh, Mosul uh, Mosul elders are trying to figure out how to how to keep everything balanced without letting it spin out of control. Other than the very obvious, you know, fight between Islamic State and kind of everybody else, are there any other tensions along those religious and ethnic lines that you've seen? Uh, I, I mean, just just the the same sorts of tensions that have been there for years still exist. Uh, you have uh, talking to multiple people in to, to many people actually uh, in Mosul, saying we don't want. These Hashid Shabi groups, these distinctly Shiite militias, pushing into the city, and are, are worried about that. Uh, and there's concerns with how close the uh, how close Kurdish forces will get to the city. It's just there's uh, there's a very it's it's a pretty delicate uh, pretty delicate balancing act that that the central government's having to do as they push push Islamic State out to try to make sure that uh, to make sure that old resentments don't uh, don't immediately flare up or new ones aren't created. Thank you for for walking down that tangent with me. I think it's an important one to keep in mind as this as this fight continues. Um, getting back to the drones, how effective 
are they? Are they causing many deaths or casualties? Or is it something that's very obvious and they just get shot out of the sky? I mean, they aren't that obvious. They're, I mean, if, if, you have a, if you have a drone flying at a, maybe a thousand feet over you, you aren't going to be able to hear it. The American coalition spokesmen and uh, coalition forces, as well as the Iraqis themselves, say that the drones aren't going to, they aren't going to turn the tide. They're not going to be, they're not going to stop the fight. They're not going to uh, ultimately defeat the Iraqi forces. But they are causing casualties. They are a nuisance, a distraction, and they cause deaths. If properly placed, a, a drone hit can destroy a substantial vehicle. They can also um, disrupt gatherings of, of civilians and of aid workers. I mean, on the, on the east side of the city, so the city is divided by the Tigris River, the west side is the one that, uh, where the fight's happening right now. The east side of the city, which uh, has, has been retaken by Iraqi forces uh, for, for weeks now, they're civil- when, when I was reporting on that side, I'd be speaking to some civilians, and they'd, they would say, come, you know, come into my shop to talk to me. I don't want to stand on the sidewalk, because if you stand out on the sidewalk too long, you, you know, it could be targeted by drones. So they're worried about, uh, about standing around in groups. Uh, they're worried about aid groups I spoke to are worried about distributing, uh, distributing uh, rations and, and, and aid in the city because these drones can target uh, can target small groups of people, so it's 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 a hindrance and a an uh, an irritant that causes death and uh, death and and injuries. And it also sounds like it sows fear, right? If it's making everybody nervous, that's exactly right. I mean, that's I mean, that's one of the that's one of the main things that uh, that these things are capable of, especially with the civilian populace, is just uh, you know constant, just a constant concern, a constant dread that there's that these things are going to be flying around overhead and dropping a, you know, a 40 millimeter grenade on you. Does this mean that coalition and Iraqi forces have kind of lost control of the sky? Because I mean, for the past, you know, 10 years or more, there's been that area of the battlefield has been completely dominated, right? I don't think you could say that, that they've lost control of the sky. I think this is just, it's, it's like saying if, if somebody's able to if somebody's able to take a couple pot shots here and there that you've, that you've lost control of territory. Well, you haven't really lost control of territory. It's just, you know, you, you still have to deal with the, you know, the occasional pot shot or something. It's the same thing with the, with the skies, with these drones. I mean, the, the Iraqi and, and American forces are, from my read, correct in that this is not something that's going to turn the tide of battle. Uh, and yet it's, uh, it's a new irritant to something we and the Iraqis are trying to learn how to, how to handle. And this is, you, you mean, when you see uh, requests for procurement, new procurement, uh, fielding, fielding new technologies, uh, it's trying to get rid of uh, the equivalent of the, of the occasional pot shot. Ben Kessling of the Wall Street Journal, thank you so much for joining us on War College. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's show. War College was created by Jason Fields and Craig Haddock. Matthew Galt hosts and wrangles the guests. And it's produced by me, Bethel Hobday. Please keep your iTunes reviews coming. If you say something nice and clever, I just might read it on air. Please post any ideas for future shows or feedback you have 
to our Twitter page. We're at war underscore college. Thanks.